0: Hello again everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers So I'm coming to you from West Lafayette, Indiana Today is episode 100 um, Kind of unofficially, it's actually more than that, but it's 100 This ep- uh, Today we're going to talk about globalist tyranny And the machine aids going on behind your sheepish eyes. The sheepish eyes Let me spit that out again I have only become keenly aware of this as the threads of history move through the Rockefellers, the Kissingers, the Schwabs, and Gates to the modern introduction of their global plan to reduce population through fear, strife, war, and sterilizing much of the population. The ultimate goal here requires the United States to be divvied up and submitted. This is why Joe Biden's administration is doing the things they are. Treason is too kind of word. And we're back. Um, we'll start with this quote, and this is from Henry Kissinger, uh, evidently on uh, 1992. Today, Americans would be outraged if the UN troops entered Los Angeles to restore order. Tomorrow, they will be grateful. This is especially true if they were told there was an outside threat from beyond, beyond, whether real or promulgated, that threatened our very existence. Is and then all peoples of the world will pledge pledge with world leaders to deliver them from this evil. The one thing every man fears is the unknown. When presented with this scenario, individual rights will be willingly relinquished for the guarantee of their well-being granted to them by their world government. There's been many a globalist who have uh, thought this way and said this, um, in many couched languages and whatnot. Um, one of the things they use is they like to gin up wars. Um, around a hundred years ago was World War One. This was a, a European war, so when you call it World War One, it was really the European, the first European war, uh, for the most part. It, um I think the biggest thing you can learn from this, though, is that it, there was a globalist plan in place, according to many reports. Um, a guy named arthur rhodes who had kind of worked through this they had spent 15 or 20 years ginning up the population at the time with propaganda and uh internal strife and hatred and making alliances and uh getting people all us and us versus them um you know labeling people and whatnot and the financiers always are behind these wars uh, if the financiers are on board, anything is possible. Because people who, uh, if they know their history, one of the things that happened back in the olden days was kings went to war the way that kings did back in the medieval times and time all times pa- prior to that. It was the only way they could get people of uh, what worth and talent to be leaders in these wars, to be generals or at that time frame uh, the knights or whatnot. Was that they had to have financiers? They had they had uh, the Medicis and the in the latter of the Renaissance era, um, they were the financiers behind uh, the the wars of that time. And um, for the most part, the kings always had to inflate the currency. Um, <clears throat> at the time, you know, they would just reduce the amount of certain metals and in, inside the coinage to make it worthless. Uh, worthless because. Even then, people could check the coins and make sure um, there were people that would do that and find out that the king was jipping them based upon the weighting of the, of the the coinage of the time and other things. I mean, it was just a... It's always been that way. But with the modern govern, governments, uh, conscription, uh, getting people to sign on to wars was uh, considered a patriotic duty and govern, government-enforced. And so, uh, they would use propaganda, and this is what you should do for your country. You're fighting for your country's existence. Um, that was the mechanism through which uh, these people wo- operate. And they're doing it right now today, only they've uh, decided that uh, um, the best way to do this is to destroy uh, people's individual freedoms and rights. So first, uh, I'm going to play a clip for an example of the mass... Is what we're dealing with is a mass psychosis and I this uh, after school presentation uh, I actually li- I'll put a link in the description uh, you can um, play the whole thing I'm going to play a few minutes from it and we'll go from there
1: The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to deify error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. According to the psychologist Carl Jung, the greatest threat to civilization lies not with the forces of nature, nor with any physical disease but with our inability to deal with the forces of our own psyche. We are our own worst enemies, or as the Latin proverb puts it, man is a wolf to man. In Civilization in Transition, Jung states that this proverb is a sad yet eternal truism, and our wolf-like tendencies come most prominently into play at those times of history when mental illness becomes the norm rather than the exception in a society. A situation which Jung termed a psychic epidemic. Indeed, it is becoming ever more obvious, he writes, that it is not famine, not earthquakes, not microbes, not cancer, but man himself, who is man's greatest danger to man, for the simple reason that there is no adequate protection against psychic epidemics, which are infinitely more devastating than the worst of natural catastrophes. In this video we are going to explore the most dangerous of all psychic epidemics, the mass psychosis. A mass psychosis is an epidemic of madness, and it occurs when a large portion of a society loses touch with reality and descends into delusions. Such a phenomenon is not a thing of fiction. Two examples of mass psychoses are the American and European witch hunts of the 16th and 17th centuries, and the rise of totalitarianism in the 20th century. During the witch hunts, thousands of individuals, mostly women, were killed, not for any crimes they committed, but because they became the scapegoats of societies gone mad. In some Swiss villages, writes Francis Hill, there were scarcely any women left alive after the frenzy had finally burned itself out. When a mass psychosis occurs, the results are devastating. Jung studied this phenomenon and wrote that the individuals who make up the infected society ...become morally and spiritually inferior. They sink unconsciously to an inferior intellectual level. They become more unreasonable, irresponsible, emotional, erratic, and unreliable. And worst of all, crimes the individual alone could never stand... ...are freely committed by the group smitten by madness. What makes...
0: I could go on from there, sorry, um I'm... trying to control this a little bit so we'll play uh this uh this i could go on that's a very it's a 20 minute video i don't want to play the whole thing this is from dr peter mccullough he's doing he's been doing the rounds he's uh he's not an anti-vax doctor he's a recognized cardiologist who specializes in cardiology and cardio renal issues he's been published substantially around the world um he published early on a treatment for the COVID uh, COVID nineteen the path the pathophysiological basis and rationale for early outpatient treatment of SARS Cov two infection. And and then went through that went through that process there. But I'm just gonna play a little audio clip from him and I'll let you uh, ascertain where to go from there. I will go from there. So we became
2: conditioned after about May or so, wear a mask, wait in isolation and be saved by the vaccine and wait for the vaccine and wait for the vaccine. And all we could hear about is the vaccine. The vaccine is coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then the randomized trials came and they were done and things looked pretty good. Now we learned something about the vaccines because they were very new. This wasn't gonna be any tetanus shot. It's not like a flu shot. This is brand new technology never, ever used on a broad scale of human beings and before. So the vaccines came. Can we have the slides up? I, I submitted some slides. If I don't, I can do it verbally. Here we go. So um, let's get into this about the the vaccines. So I publish um, uh, a journal every week. What I needed, and it became clear to me, there wasn't gonna be a lot of people who are gonna step forward and do it. Now, as mentioned, I have 650 peer-reviewed publications in the National Library of Medicine. There may not be somebody at University of Michigan who has that. Matter of fact, I don't think there is. And there definitely isn't at Michigan State or any other place in Michigan. And I have to tell you, the reason why I have what I have is I simply outwork any human being on Earth. Okay, that's what it takes. I'm 58 years old. And I am unstoppable, okay, and unbreakable. And I tell you, when COVID-19 hit, I was not going to sit on the sidelines of the Super Bowl. I was going to get in there and do my part. And so I needed a window. I needed a window. The publications were slowing down. Something was wrong. Something was wrong. We were publishing. We had valid papers. Nothing was getting through the ring of Journal of Medicine. There was a falsified paper published in Lancet. Since when does that happen? Something disturbing started happening. Just like the medical institutions were not treating patients, the medical journals became now an unreliable source for how we could deal with things because things weren't getting through. So they're starting to become a panic. So for the last year, I had a window to America through the Hill, through a journal in Washington for an entire year when I predicted everything that was gonna happen through the pandemic and was trying to forecast for a variety of people. One point in time, I was advising, I think 12 different committees on the House side and heavily advising the Senate side behind the scenes because they weren't happy with what they were hearing from the NIH, CDC, and other agencies. And so this year, the Hill shut down when the Hill basically said, listen, we're gonna have to part ways here because December 10th hit, and December 10th is a very important time in this whole history of things. I told you there was a thirst developed for the vaccine, and there was a preparation developed for the vaccine, and this is all in the open. This is in the open. I think around December 10th, the Trusted News Initiative was announced. Go look at it on your website. You can look it up right now the trusted news service, and the BBC is who's announced it, but everyone was on board, CNN, CNBC, ABC, the media, the local media. And it said, we are going to only produce information and publish information that promotes vaccines and the use of vaccines, and we're going to squash anything that could create vaccine hesitancy, period. That means early treatment, we don't want to hear about that because that could make people maybe look for other options. Squash it. We're going to squash anything on vaccine safety. We don't want to, if the vaccine caused a problem. We don't want to hear about it, and it's not allowed. Squash. And the the medical uh, director of YouTube came out and said we're with it. Zuckerberg came out on all the social media, Twitter. We're with it. Everybody. So this is wide out in the open. So the whole world knew they were going to get only one story on the vaccine. It's good for you. Take it. It's in the wide open. So I needed a window, and the window was America Out Loud, and I I published this once a week. And I have been telling America through this window about the products. And the first one was on new biologic products. Of course, demand safety, safety, safety. If for the first time we're gonna roll out a vaccine and we're gonna literally ask the entire country to take it, it better be safe. Period. Period.
0: So yeah, there's a problem there As he is illuminating So you see what happens when you allow the media to control your life uh, The media that will promote any narrative Funded by the right people uh, to achieve their goals And that's what they've done uh, One of the things that globalists have done over the past 100 years uh, they've wrangled in the money uh, using the Fed, which we're going to talk about the Fed here in a little bit. So they've used the Federal Reserve, which controls the money supply in the United States, which uh, also was a, uh, a keen asset or uh, tool for the globalists to use to cause crises as uh, we uh, every so often, like 1929... 2008 uh, and other uh, other times in history they have actually been the problem they've always been the problem they're always in the background they're uh, they're not controlled directly everybody talks about them being independent they're not independent, they're being controlled by international forces they're not being controlled by our government our government just asks them to report to them, but there's really very little, if any, oversight um uh, and they'll they'll say there is, but there isn't. Not really. Um, they're you, they're they're very they're very keenly aware of this because they use fractional uh, fractional reserve banking, and this has caused all the calamities that you have seen throughout history. And we'll get into that uh, in further detail. Number two, the democracy of the mob. So for those out there that will be uh, upset about this, especially women, the nineteenth amendment. So. One of the things that Rockefeller, who when he got his uh, Standard Oil busted up into the Seven Sisters, um, Rockefeller suddenly went into this idea that he's a, ph- a philanthropist. He's out there to help people. He was actually behind much of uh, uh, the idea behind the <clears throat> what do you call it situation regarding oil the usage in cars and automobiles and whatnot instead of at that time there wasn't there was plenty of uh other means and necessities ethanol and whatnot anyways not saying that's better or worse it was just part of his hustle back in the 1910s 1920s one of the things he you know prohibition so women women always being a controlling and manipulative force in many many of our lives Women are, are emotional. They're easily, easily manipulated, and they expect that, and also men. There are men out there that are quite easily manipulated. Many of them are weak men who are less than ideal. They're not strong men. They're men that will align with women to get what they want. Uh, we have terms for those people. Uh, we won't even use those. We'll try to be a little bit diplomatic today instead of cussing, cussing up a storm. It's not that I'm not mad. I am mad. But by expansion and dilution of the vote, instead of making it tied to people who are actually individually concerned about their country, uh, land ownership, individual land ownership, not these big major conglomerates, people that have a vested interest based upon their ability to do service for their country, which goes to the conscription uh, thing, if you're going, if the government is going to force people to join the military or join the services like they have done for many of men, then men should be the only ones who have to write the vote. If a woman wants to be conscripted into the service, they should have a right to vote. Um, there's a certain there's a certain aspect to that. It's like if you're going to serve your country, then the country owes you owes you a privilege, the privilege of having your vote. One one person, one vote. I realize that there are many people that want to weigh in on matters that affect them. I grant you that, totally agree. But when you have no skin in the game, that's the key aspect of this. When you decouple responsibility for the country, and all you want is to get, uh, 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 you want to get uh, uh, rewarded. So, in other words, that's that's what they do with the economy. That's why they create these huge spending bills and they create welfare systems. Welfare systems keep people dependent. They keep them dependent upon the government. You are enslaved by that. They're not doing any favors for you. They're just keeping you in the. They're just keeping you under control. Or as as a an old term that used to get thrown around by the people such as Mr. Joe Biden, they want to keep you in your place. In other words, they want to keep you right where they can find you. They want to keep you in the same hovel. They want to keep you in the same city. They want to make sure that you're 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 essentially imprisoned, because if you can't get out of that situation through your own efforts or through your own understanding of what you need to do to do that, your your history, you will go down as a foot, you won't even go down as a footnote. You'll just go you'll from cradle to grave you'll be under the thumb of the government, and the quicker you die off, the better, as far as the government's concerned. Uh, that's what, that's actually, uh, those political forces exist on both sides of the aisle. Uh, the, the, the dichotomy of the Democrats and Republicans is, is, a, is a misnomer. It's a, it's a facade. Sure, there are people on both sides that have, definitely have ideological interests towards certain policies, but when it comes, to, uh, when it comes right down to it nowadays, they're, they're, o- they're obviously moving towards the same goal, which is to destroy the United States of America. And around the world, they're looking to destroy human rights, civil rights. They don't want you to have any rights whatsoever. This is neo-feudalism on steroids. We're heading towards that precipice, and nobody will fight back. I, I, I want to think they will. I want to think the people will be able to do this, but a key aspect to this has been fear, 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 fear. Fear of a virus, fear of the unknown, fear of the invisible virus that nobody can see, and people have been too too incapable of understanding that you can't control, you couldn't control this a virus whether it exists or not. At this point, whether it exists or not, it's probably not a, a discussion. But the problem is, is uh, uh, people have uh, think that they can somehow control all the methodologies, and Peter uh, McCullough, Doctor McCullough, has eliminated that. Amongst others, and there's a grand objective, and the objective is population control. So one of the things is uh, when I said the money, and then now the vote. The medical field is uh, about keeping us sick. So the Rockefellers uh, introduced that concept through uh, moving us away from uh, what used to be a natural, natural herbs and natural uh, things that exist in nature, going from a natural, uh, a, a natural uh, remedies to treatments and medicines that they create right in a lab. And they've created poisons, including vaccines. Vaccines are not as safe as they always try to crack them up to be. This one in particular is not safe. It hasn't been safety tested. I know there are many vaccines out there that can be use, useful, but those things were tested over a course of time. It takes many years to do the science, do the studies, do the analysis, determine what the long-term effects are. Science takes time. That's probably the most uh, relevant thing when it comes to health. Science takes time. You can't just get to the answer as quickly as you want to. You have to do all the, the necessary hypothesizing, testing, get the results, analyze the results, retest it, confirm your results again, and over and over. That takes time. This was a rushed-out vaccine. Did, did, he he didn't even mention it, but here's a little backstory. He said December 10th when the media turned on. And here's the thing: since when does the media determine determine your health? Determine what needs the narrative that needs to be uh, sold? Well, of course, that's a pure propaganda campaign. Moderna created their vaccine. Their their first vaccine on COVID 19 was. Uh, was actually by the SEC documentation uh, February 7th of 2020. They got the genetic, supposedly the genetic sequencing from the CCP, from the China, in January, uh, I think January 11th, which was three or four days before the WHO said there was no human-to-human transmission, and just right around the same time that Trump had signed a trade deal with China. There's a host of... Um, this operates on many levels uh, there's a host of uh, events and this operates on I mean, there's a medical level there's a monetary level there's a human uh, uh, there's obviously an election level here because this was all used as a subterfuge to of course uh, uh, get Trump out of office through no, any means necessary this isn't to say Trump was a you know great president or even even to make that analysis there but, of, cor- of course, the United States was starting to get uh, uh, straightened out in 2019. You can look at the economic numbers. You can look at the way people felt about things if they left aside their politics. But we have a certain group that had already fallen under a mass psychosis. They believe the media. They, they strongly believe the media. The liberals never gave up on the media. The conservatives and independents did. But the people that are liberal and who are now leftist, they're no longer liberal. They're illiberal. And we'll get into that discussion too. So from here I'm going to go to, let's see, the best one to go to is uh, Zero Hedge. So this is authored by Chris McIntosh uh, via the internationalman.com, but I'm going to read a, a little bit of this. He says, if we look at what is taking place, what seems glaringly obvious to me is that there is a coordinated dem- demolition of the entire countries, their business sectors, and with this financial ruin, a top-down approach to fixing the ruin is being enacted. Ru- Step one, ruin small businesses and individual financial situation. Step number two, offer them handouts, loans, UBI for individuals, and loans for corporates. This does two things. For individual, it enslaves them like an animal that is wild and hunted for its food and survival, self-sufficient, to, uh, to one who no longer hunts for food, but rather paces in a cage awaiting its daily rations. Step 3. Entire nations fall into the same trap, a debt trap. It is no surprise that the IMF, World Bank, and UN are acting as, as the pointy end of this same strategy, making loans unpayable in return for locking down. Belarus Affair highlighted this. Anyone can see that if you take a loan with the promise to destroy your business in order to obtain the loan, then you'll be indebted forever. And yet that's what the entire countries have done and are doing. So what happens now? Well we are seeing well, what we are seeing is the large scale privatization of everything within these respective countries. The countries themselves are, are impoverishing their citizens' by because they've locked, down, locked them down and forced business closures only to offer them handouts thus enslaving them. The Those same governments now with blown budgets stuck in debt traps will seek additional handouts. Remember, they took loans from the World Bank to help amidst the coronavirus and the only ones that can give it to them are the globalists who have seen the greatest increase in wealth during the crisis. They are now going for the jugular. And there you go. They're going for the jugular. This is the grandest conspiracy and it is a conspiracy run by the most evil people that you'll ever meet in your entire life. These people are they're snakes and they're very they, they, they are very astute they know what they know what drives the human mechanism the human psychology. this goes back a hundred years this goes back to even 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 if you hate the guy uh, Freudian uh, Freudian uh, the idea of emotional, pain and emotional manipulation when peter uh not peter mccullough but that uh, after school talked about the amount of uh, mental uh, illness and psychosis well that's being that's been well established there's been studies that say in the united states alone 25 percent of people are on on some kind of antidepressant and this is pretty significant when you think about it that one out of every four people in america is on some kind of anti-antidepressant medication in order to get through their day. Others of us, like myself, <laughs> we uh, were caffeine addicts. We use caffeine instead, of, I guess you could say, that's my uh, antidepressant. I'm not saying that that's any better. It's actually just a different alternative than actually taking a, a, a pharmaceutical because caffeine doesn't appear naturally in, nation, uh, in nature. That being said, that doesn't make it. You know, that is, is stimulants and, and whatnot aren't are necessarily uh, the, the best way to go about this. Uh, water, having a natural diet would be the much better and cleaner alternative. Uh, learning how to stabilize that. But people have their own urges. So the big pharma industries have made a lot of money during this time. We all know this. The Modernas, the Pfizers, the J&Js... Um, they have used that, used this manipulative. They've used this situation expertly to raise their stock prices, to you know, to sell more, sell more people on the uh, on the hustle, uh, to ignore safety protocols, to cause mass calamities, to cause the fact that, like for example, Israel is already up to the third booster shot, so they're asking for food booster shot. The problem is, is people are become going to become vaccine dependent. They're eliminating their their natural immune system. In in essence, these people are going to die of the very vaccine that they're taking, um, because these I mean, and that's that's just my hypothesis. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to be one here. I'm not going to say this is medical. This is not medical misinformation. These are just things that actually actually occur. Because the more and more vaccines you have to take, obviously, the more and more your system is dependent upon that. It's a, it's a feedback loop. This all operates as a feedback loop. For example, the monetary feedback loop, the healthcare feedback loop, the educational feedback loop. Everything feeds upon itself. Uh, this is an engineering mechanism. You know, when you, when you uh, apply uh, a certain amount of input, you expect a certain amount of output. You know, and for those who are in the engineering industry who probably know this better than I do, you know, SIPOC, you got your supply, you have your input, you have your process, you have your output, and you have your customers. Well, we're the customers. And the supply of, of propaganda, the supply of money, the p- supply of medications, the supply of fear, lots of fear, is all being implemented, is input. That's a supply of your input. And then the process, the process is you. I want to say is your mental makeup, your physical makeup. Your emotional makeup; the, those things are the way ways in which you process this. Some people are very, let's just say, very rudimentary in their processing of things. You know, money makes them feel good, so they like more money, irrespective of whether it's hurting them or not. It's a, it's an addiction. You know, they they know how to feed people's impulses, and that's the process that they're working on. That's what these globalists uh, rely on and depend. They depend upon your enslavement. They depend on you enslaving yourself. They don't want you to have independent thought. And anybody who mentions independent thought, they have to squash. That's why they're doing so much censorship. Yeah, They've censored McCullough. They've gone after uh, Robert Malone, who invented the technology of the mRNA vaccine. When I say invented, he was the one who developed it in the late, late 80s, early 90s. He has the patents, though history is trying to erase that. And that, that should give you a a level of the totalitarianism that's going on the censorship i mean only stalin would stalin would geek out over this he would think this is so wonderful lenin would enjoy this too because he was all about if you can you know race history and and educate people that believe a certain thing you i i can control the world that's the way he thought of it this is the way communists think communism all this stuff is all authoritarian. It's always on the left, by the way. If we want to call it a spectrum, authoritarianism is always a leftist ideology because authoritarianism is control of the masses, control of the people, all the people. Everybody should be in the same unfortunate circumstance. The idea of having individualism uh, is, is 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 a a, a, a thema or a um, a harm to this situation. Uh, on, the, on the right. I mean, most people who are, 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 are substantially are people who, we, uh, if you want to call it the dichotomy of, of um, what would you say, political alignment, is just the fact that they believe in themselves. They believe in their economic freedom. They believe in their individual freedoms. And they also generally believe in people's individual uh, ability to make uh, uh, justice individual justice instead of the social justice you should have a justice system that weighs each person by their individual merits and by their individual deeds and whether they did whether they've done a good thing this is where governance should be limited but governance should also uh, play an important role in setting the basic boundaries of human interaction a government that has too many rules and regulation is a government that is is uh, is destined for tyranny. so anyway, I'll read a little bit more of this article. I, I, I got off of my soapbox. The plan is okay the plan has become rather transparent and it is enti- it is to entirely transform society. They already control the sphere of medicine to the point where they can now can and are now dictating that private citizens from sea to shining sea must take an unknown unknown. To us, but not to them, experimental gene therapy. This is now, and the booster shots will allow them to put whatever they damn well please into your body. If you can encourage the ra- ravaging of entire country's economies, and clearly you can, and subsequently offer them assistance in the forms of loans which cannot and are, and are not designed to be paid back, then you can do two things. You can go in and buy up assets for cents on the dollar, which controls uh, with control over means of productions you can enforce and dictate the laws of the country via its political structures whether they be local or national governments whoa chris that sounds dystopian and frightening i know but i'm looked around and t- tell me it isn't so what uh, what poses an obstacle to this onslaught are those countries which are independent and financially and militarily strong correct if you have enough finance if you have a As we sit here today, the frightening reality is that more than half of the world's countries are one teensy teensy, tiny step away from economic collapse, debt default, and consequential falling living standards. This isn't hyperbole, it's purely a matter of math and economics. It was therefore no surprise that we recently saw Joe Biden mumble his way through threatening Russia, Russia with a hot war brought on by a cyber attack. For those paying attention, this coincides rather neatly with Klaus Schwab's much-trumpeted global cyber-pandemic, an excuse to shut down the internet only to reopen it with safeguards in place, where we will be required to submit multiple forms of ID in order to get online, ID which will include vaccination status. What better way to enslave humanity? Boom. We are living in a world overrun by government intervention travel restrictions, manipulated interest rates, endless stimulus, excessive regulation, and taxation, the list goes on and on. The bad news for the average person is there will be more control, uncertainty, and inflation as governments try to hold on to power. Here's the good news. Those who understand what is coming and how to navigate the turmoil could not only hold on to what they have, but could come out far ahead government stupidity is almost guaranteed but you and your money don't have to become a casualty this is where i would depart from his analysis only from the fact that uh they're not going to allow people to hang on to their money they're going to destroy our entire uh uh, the entirety and not only that there's other forces working uh to not only they're going to try to the next phase of this is the the terrorism uh situation so I'm gonna go to that for a second because and then we'll go back to that after school uh, special. So or when I say after school, after school uh, <laughs> that uh particular warning. So anyway I gotta get back to this. Hold on a second. Basically right
3: the last night well, last night, the DHS put out an updated statement saying that you know These are the updated signs of possible domestic terrorist threats. And one of the really alarming things on that was that basically they said, in a nutshell, no matter how they try to frame this, that people who question the mandates or the possibility of further mandates or COVID restrictions or anything COVID related, that it's signs of domestic terrorism. So the people that are telling you that everybody else is a threat basically just threaten the American public by saying, if you question anything related to COVID and COVID mandates and policy, that we will label you as a threat and treat you as such. That is essentially what they just did. There's also a document online about CDC green zones. And these green zones are basically these camps where they would determine people who were sick or threats to the public due to COVID. Mind you, the same inconsistent COVID and the same inconsistencies with testing, false positives, and just absolutely disastrous dialogue all around related to COVID. That same COVID will determine if people get placed into these camps In on The documents for these camps says right there in plain english that there will be security monitoring they could hold you there for up to six months and there will be deceased trucking and flights for dead bodies now i don't know if anybody is really that illiterate to history but if you go back some years ago there was a group of people who did very bad things
0: that also used camps. I strongly suggest people really wake the fuck up. Yeah. He strongly suggests something that everybody should do, is wake wake the hell up. I won't cuss more than that (laughs) today. But that hasn't stopped me before. But yes, we're in a... Spiral, like I said, this is where I, I, like I said, depart from the the analysis of Chris McIntosh, who did an excellent job. Don't get me wrong; he he's uh he's on he's on point with this. So the idea is that we're going to be um, destroyed by this, uh, any through any means necessary. That's where the commentary. We'll go back to the commentary by af- after school, and uh, give me a second here.
1: matters worse is that those suffering from a mass psychosis are unaware of what is occurring. For just as an individual gone mad cannot step out of his mind to observe the errors in his ways, so too there is no Archimedean point from which those living through a mass psychosis can observe their collective madness. But what causes a mass psychosis? To answer this question we must first explore what drives an individual mad. While there are many potential triggers of madness, such as an excessive use of drugs or alcohol, brain injuries and other illnesses, these physical causes will not concern us here. Our concern is with psychological, or what are called psychogenic, triggers, as these are the most common culprits of the mass psychosis. The most prevalent psychogenic cause of a psychosis is a flood of negative emotions, such as fear or anxiety, that drives an individual into a state of panic. When in a state of panic, an individual will naturally seek relief, as it is too mentally and physically draining to subsist in this hyper-emotional state. While escaping from the state of panic can be accomplished through adaptive means, such as facing up to and defeating the fear-generating threat, another way to escape is to undergo a psychotic break. A psychotic break is not a descent into a state of greater disorder, as many believe but a reordering of one's experiential world, which blends fact and fiction, or delusions and reality, in a way that helps end the feelings of panic. Silvano Arietti, one of the 20th century's foremost authorities on schizophrenia, explains the psychogenic steps that lead to madness. Firstly, there is the phase of panic, when the patient starts to perceive things in a different way, is frightened on account of it, appears confused and does not know how to explain the strange things that are happening. The next step is what Ariadne calls a phase of psychotic insight, whereby an individual succeeds in putting things together by devising a pathological way of seeing reality which allows him to explain his abnormal experiences. The phenomenon is called insight because the patient finally sees meaning and relations in his experiences. But the insight is psychotic, because it is based on delusions, not on adaptive and life-promoting ways of relating to whatever threats precipitated the panic. The delusions, in other words, allow the panic-stricken individual to escape from the flood of negative emotions, but at the cost of losing touch with reality. And for this reason, Arietti says that a psychotic break can be viewed as "...an abnormal way of dealing with an extreme state of anxiety." If a panic-triggering flood of negative emotions in a weak and vulnerable individual can trigger a psychotic break, then a mass psychosis can result when a population of weak and vulnerable individuals is driven into a state of panic by threats real, imagined, or fabricated. But as delusions can take many forms, and as madness can manifest in countless ways, The specific manner in which a mass psychosis unfolds will differ based on the historical and cultural context of the infected society.
0: So if you got that. So it depends upon the inculcation or how we're uh, driven in our society in terms of this uh, mass psychosis. Um, We'll play a couple things here. I needed to square away something here. So first, we're going to play this little little clip here. This is uh, about the clip that uh, it's a big club and you ain't in it. Um, But I'll let you listen and you can make your own determination.
4: And you mentioned, uh, David, um, Henry Kissinger, and I think he first uh, was noticed by the Rockefeller family after he um, wrote a, um, a very erudite work on uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear war back in the late 1950s. If and Foreign Policy. Right. Oh, yes. It was then published, and uh, from that time on he became pretty close to the Rockefeller family. Well he did. Um, actually, I guess I was the first one who got to know him because uh, he was a member of an organization called the Council on Foreign Relations in New York. And There was a a study group at that time that he, as then a uh, young instructor at Harvard, uh, presided at. I was so impressed by him that uh, I introduced him to my brother Nelson, who was then governor in New York and was then considering uh, seeking the presidency of the United States. They became great friends and actually... Uh, Henry became Nelson's foreign policy advisor as long as he was in public life and I think is one of the remarkable international statesmen in the world today even 30 years after he was Secretary of State he is still asked by heads of state when he travels the world uh, for their for his advice let me go back to the time you said that when you came here it transformed your life was there a course a professor who really made that difference for you yes uh, there was uh, one course one seminar of um, Henry Kissinger um, which really opened my eyes I wasn't accepted to the seminar but I said
0: in I think he let me in because I was German and uh, And it was relatively shortly after the war, there were not too many Germans here. And uh, this created a friendship which has um,
4: uh, endured until today. And, uh, you know, uh, Henry has been several times
0: in in Davos. Um, And I think it was mainly uh, participating in his seminars that I developed my interest for geopolitical affairs. So that that is your one Klaus Schwab there. So you can see the, the, the lines being drawn in, in this particular uh, movie that we're living in. I call it a movie because it's unreal. Many facets. And I know the left there's leftists out there to say, well, you're living in a false reality. But one of the things that you can tell with looking at data... So, for example, there's a, um, there's a, there was a poll done by Gallup and the trust in the media is 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 indicative of a lot of the the, the fracturing of the parties, inter- and also the fracturing. Uh, there's another study out there that was done by Adam Botica about donations to party political campaigns, but this was broken down by, by Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. So we'll just you know, we know liberals are Democrats and Republicans are generally conservative. So 1999 and 2001. I'm uh just the numbers in 1999 the trust in the media uh 61% the democrats trusted the media and republicans were right at 48% and 55 on the independents. So independents are like your bellwether. They're right smack down the middle just about between the two parties for for argument's sake. So in 2001 the trust in the media was uh, 65% liberals and 39% uh uh republicans. Or Democrats uh, were 65%. 2004, okay. So 2004, the trust was 59% for the Democrats and 31% for the Republicans. And the independents were at 44%. Uh, then the, it went it shot back up for the Democrats uh, in 2005 to 70%. And usually, you, you got to also look at this in, in terms of election years. Um, you know, every election year, the trust in the media is going to go down, or it's going to alter depending upon who the candidate who's running for office. So the Republicans' trust has gone down over the time. So throughout the Barack Obama administration, it kind of it stabilized between it looks like about twenty-eight or about twenty-six and thirty-one percent. Sorry. So uh, it was pretty low throughout the Obama administration for the liberals. It was. 60 to 50 percent. The funny thing is is when when Trump's administration came in uh, The amount that Democrats believed in the media jumped significantly. It jumped from 51 percent in 2016 to 72 percent in 2017 then it became 76 percent in 2018 and 69 percent in 2019 this was the high, these were the highest levels of trust in the media uh, recorded for the Democrats historically over 20 some odd years the republicans were just the opposite they were at 14 14 21 and 15 and through those year that year pattern and the independents were had historically been right in the you know 45 to 55% range to now they were in the 37 to 36 it looks like 30 37 42 36 were the, the those four years under the trump administration that's as of 2019 I looked at uh, 2020, and the Democrats still believed in the media. And this was out of uh, 1,525 people polled. So what does that tell you? Well, there is an analysis, but nonetheless, what it really tells you is that uh, the Democrats have been trusting in the mass media uh, way too much. Overly trusting. And, of course, the mass media has distorted itself. I understand this because I was a Democrat back in two thousand. I, you know, I voted for Al Gore. I, I remember being even aligned with uh, John Kerry versus George Bush, which is interesting, and we'll segue right there. But uh, the reality is, is yeah, this shows that the media, uh, when you're uh, hyper conditioned by the media to think a certain way about certain people. And of course, if you paid any attention to the narrative spun on the CNNs, the MSNBC, even Fox, Fox is no different. Fox is now actually operates more and more like a liberal organization, or certainly I, 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 they they will they will position themselves as centrists, centrist. But uh, they're being owned and run and operated by liberals. Uh, it's no longer Rupert Murdoch. He's old, and he isn't running the show. But here we'll, we'll go back to Kerry. So China rebuffs carrying climate talks. They say, quote, we'll follow our own roadmap. So for all the people out there that believe that this uh, climate change bullshit is going to be ever resolved, it isn't. Because China China has been uh, running ahead, steaming long ahead into building coal plants and doing operations any way they want to. It's laissez-faire. They're doing exactly what the United States used to do back in the 1880s. China doesn't want to be, they're not going to be hamstrung. They're not going to listen. And the globalists are, are actually feeling this. American corporations, international corporations are feeling all this shit. So, for all the people out there worried about the climate, it does no good to focus on the United States. Of course, they blame the. Uh, if you listen to a guy like uh, Bill Gates, and we'll, uh, I can find that video, I'll play a little bit of a snippet of it because it, it's indicative of how, how these people think or how they, how they lie to you. I won't say how they, they may think a certain way, but this is how they lie to people. So anyway, it says, uh, China and the U.S. have failed to reach a climate agreement after Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, pushed Beijing to make more public prejudice before a UN climate summit in November. Quote, China already has its own plan and roadmap for achieving its climate goals. Yeah, they've stated at least one in one aspect. They said they'll they'll worry about being climate neutral by twenty sixty. That's thirty nine years from now. I'll be dead by then. I'm I'm forty nine, I'll I'll be what, eighty eight years old? Nah I don't think I'll <laughs> I highly doubt I'll make it to eighty eight. I mean so for the most part most people will be long gone before China evidently or will even attempt to reach any kind of climate goal, which is all BS because they won't. They don't care. They're not. They're not interested in any of that, despite what other people may think. They're uh, they're selling that to people because they know people will buy anything you you tell them. So we'll go to Mr. Bill Gates and Larry Fink talking about this real quick. Let me, um, get this all lined up here.
4: We have some parts of the country that are very, very worried about how this transition will mean for their, their state, their locality, for their jobs. And so this is not going to be an easy task. But I would say across the board, um, capital is moving and it's going to move very rapidly. And I'm very proud that I can tell you right now, every hydrocarbon company in the United States is now focused on this, whereas I would say three, four years ago, they weren't. They did not believe it, and so we are making change, and I would say we're making more rapid change because of Bill and other other people who were expressing this openly.
0: The bulk of emissions in the decades ahead will come from developing countries. Let's think of it in three tiers. The rich countries, that's Europe, US, Japan. The middle-income countries, uh, that's where most of humanity lives that's China on the high end high middle income and India on the low end and you've got Brazil, Mexico Indonesia, Vietnam a lot of the world's population there and then you have some very poor countries uh, a lot in Africa the responsibility to innovate uh, rests entirely on the rich countries and particularly on the US because the US has the university you get that little tidbit it rests entirely on, on the U.S. It's like shifting blame entirely on the U.S. This is actually a misnomer. Part of the reason why we're... There's a feedback loop here. So, for example, the United States, as of 2000, our carbon emissions were... Actually, our carbon emissions and the world's carbon emissions were, were, uh, were actually kind of uh, flatlining. They were actually improving. The United States were starting to put in had already put in a lot of EPA stuff and all the other garbage that goes along with it. So it wasn't going anywhere. But then, when you introduced China into the World Trade Organization, all the American companies, all the manufacturing, flew over to China. Do you know why? Do you really want to know why? Because they, don't have, they didn't put in regu- onerous regulations. However, they did put in onerous regulations on who owns the company. So you can't you can't operate in China without giving up your uh, company's rights. All these dumbass CEOs went over there, and they they said, "Ooh, money, money, money!" They can grab money, and that's what they did. They got a lot of money uh, for you know operating there. Lots of profits, boost stock share. Stockholders were happy as shit for the next several years, even until the collapse in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So. You know the the apples of the world who were glad to uh, basically they use slave labor they they enjoy getting cheaper labor so they got boost in profits and their golden parachutes got filled up and and all that happy happy talk about you know caring about the environment is just a facade because uh c o two emissions increased on purpose. This is driven by global global forces this is being driven by uh for example the Ch- uh, uh, Clinton uh administration for example. decoupled uh, human rights from trade rights or trade uh, 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 negotiations. So they allowed China to they did this back in 1994 Uh, it was reported by the LA Times and other outlets that have written about this so they decoupled that and so human rights didn't become a big deal even though this was just six years after Tiananmen Square China wasn't any more free they weren't treating their people any better uh, they were already, but, you know, America still had this, stu- uh, uh, there were politicians who uh, I, who would talk one way but really thought another. They would tell people that, yeah, we're going to hold them accountable. You notice that was 27 years ago. We still can't hold them accountable, and, and we'll get back to that. We can't hold them accountable. We never have been able to hold them accountable. And meanwhile, they were subverting our entire uh, U.S. government. Buying these people off, getting uh, blackmail on them. Um, more and more Natalie Winters and uh, the national Pulse. She focuses her entire time on on uh, outing all the uh, the public officials on the C- uh, public officials who have ties to the CCP or have dealt with uh, front front operations that are operated by the PLA. And there's just so many. Because there's just so many of these high-level administration uh, fun- functionaries who are are doing great damage to our country. You know, when your CIA director used to work uh, work for an organization that had a heavy funding from the CCP, what does that tell you? This is your CIA, Bill Burns, currently, and he isn't the only communist. He's just uh, he's a he's just a latest in a batch of many communists. Uh, I mean, Mike Pompeo isn't a communist, but he. He, he was hypercritical of uh, Trump, and then he started working for him. Whether he did anything at the State Department for the uh, Trump administration, I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But the guy before him, John Brennan...